In the mighty name of Jesus, Lord, we give you the glory. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I want to just share something with you. I won't go too long because we've already done the best of it. And, uh, but I just want to just uh, pick up just a few things just on the tail end of what has been shared concerning this. I want to just talk about the Great Commission. And I want you to have a look with me in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. So I'll just give it quick. But uh, when we, just in sharing it, I wanted to share with you some things just to get your mind open and thinking about the responsibility that God has given to us in Matthew chapter 28. Now, prior to this, Jesus was ministering in Matthew chapter 9, about verse 35. He looked on the multitudes and his heart was moved with compassion. You know, when I looked and I saw those thousands and thousands of Pakistanis, I felt tears come to my eyes. I just, I am moved. I am so moved. I remember my first experience was uh, when I went up into India and I saw the multitudes in India. My, I just began to weep because of what I could see, just um, thousands upon thousands of people needing to know Jesus Christ. And uh, that was where God birthed in me a desire to go to nations, and, and that's been part of what we've done ever since. And it's still there. It's growing. It's growing. In Matthew chapter uh, 28, Jesus is speaking. Now, you've got to get this in context. In Matthew 9, verse 35, Jesus was moved with compassion for the great multitudes. God's heart is for people. No matter where people are, no matter what situation they're in, God is moved with compassion. And Jesus said the harvest is great, but the problem is this. He identified what is the problem. The problem is not people willing to come to Christ. The problem is not with the government and various other things. He said the problem is there aren't laborers for my harvest. And he said, pray the Father will send laborers into his harvest. And as Jesus climaxed and finished his mission, as he had conquered the devil on Calvary and shed his blood to set men free, shed his blood that we might be healed, he then spoke these words, go, 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 and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. Jesus gave us a mandate. It wasn't a suggestion. This is what the church is called to do. This is our business. This is what he gave to us. What Jesus gave to us, we have been given an entrustment. I was reading a scripture in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 4, and this is what this is what uh, Paul said. He said, we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. You and I have an entrustment of God. The reason you are a Christian, a believer today, is because someone fulfilled their entrustment. The only reason you are here today, that you are saved, that you have a relationship with God, that you have a destiny eternally in heaven, that you're a child of God now called to be his ambassador, is because someone fulfilled the entrustment God gave them. And entrustment means someone handed something over to you and put it in your care. If you are entrusted with a car, it's given to you, but it belongs to the other person. It's entrusted to you to care for it. If God entrusts us with something, it's because he expects us to be productive and fruitful with it. We are entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every believer here, you are, have been given an entrustment. 
when you got saved, came to Jesus Christ, began to walk with Him, God put into your life an entrustment that what God gave to you, you would give to someone else. Now I know you can say, well, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not this and I'm not that. Listen, every one of us is entrusted the gospel. You need to know what the gospel of Jesus Christ is and how to bring that gospel to people. I want to just share a couple of things related to that. First, we have an entrustment. So God is looking to see what we do with that entrustment. Listen, God has entrusted the future of our community to us. He has entrusted the future of nation to us. The church has entrusted the spiritual welfare of its community and its nation. And it's up to the church to stand up to push back the demonic powers of heaven through intercessory prayer, through strong stands in the Spirit, and then to invade the community, to begin to penetrate. That's what the commission is. It's an apostolic commission to go out, to go out to wherever someone doesn't know Christ, to go and let them know there's a God in heaven who loves them. There's a God in heaven who's made a way for them to get out of the mess. You and I are called to be apostolic, to be sent out and make a difference, to go out and make a difference. This 21st century, God is uh, making particular emphasis on the entrustment given to the church and the apostolic call we have to go and make our lives count, to let others know the gospel. For some believers, people would hardly even know you're a believer. Lifestyle's the same. Everything's the same. God has called us to make a difference. So that means first, you've got to be different. So number one, we have an entrustment, the gospel. Number two, we have a message. We have a message. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Romans 1 verse 16, it says that I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed to talk about Jesus Christ. I remember at a time in my life, it was really awkward. I, I, I could talk about God. You know, it's easy just to talk about God. You can talk to people. You mention Jesus Christ. Now something happens. People don't use, they use the name to swear. They don't use the name Ella to swear. Something goes wrong. Ella. They, they use that name by which men are saved. And I found you can talk to people about God. They don't mind talking about God. But God made himself known through the person of Jesus Christ. And the real issue is not whether you believe in God. What have you done with Jesus Christ? Do you believe him? Have you put your faith in him? Have you put your trust in him? Has his spirit entered your life? Has the blood of Jesus washed your sins? Listen, it hasn't changed. It's still the same. The only remedy for sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God to salvation. We live in an environment that is hostile, is resistant to the gospel, and resistant to the supernatural. But just because it's resistant doesn't mean it's too hard. Just because it's resistant doesn't mean it's impossible. What it means is God needs in this area some tough people who'll stand up and have faith in their heart and have a strong prayer life and a strong spirit that say, I don't care how tough it is, I can make a difference. I, I believe that if we had said to many people in the church, why don't you go to Pakistan? You'd say, that'll be a hard place with all those Muslims and terrorists there. Actually, when you get there, you find there's a lot of people hungry for Jesus Christ. 
It's his, the high place, but it's not too hard. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. If you can just change in mentality, we can start to stand up and embrace what God has entrusted us. Listen, we're entrusted with the gospel. When Jesus stood up at the beginning of his ministry, this is what he said. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's the same Holy Ghost you get. It's the same Spirit comes on us when we believe in Jesus Christ. Listen, he said, the Spirit of the Lord has come upon me. He has sent me to... Now, this is the mission that we have. And listen, as you hear the extent of this mission, you understand this is the extent of the gospel. He said to reconcile, firstly, reconcile, to preach the gospel to the poor, to reconcile people, bring them back to the Lord, but it doesn't stop there. The anointing on me is to heal people whose lives are broken, whose hearts are full of sorrow and grief. It's to heal them. The gospel is good news. It doesn't just bring us back to the Father and into his love. It brings healing to the broken heart. Just like Andrew testified, his life hurt and broken, no one can fix it. But Jesus Christ in a moment of time can come in and heal the broken heart. That's the Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. He died for our sins and he died for our sorrows. Listen, it says, he sent me to proclaim deliverance to the captives. People are tormented with demons. Our culture is riddled with it. Just because you don't see them doesn't mean they're not there. They're there, all right. You start to talk about Jesus Christ, you'll see whether they're there or not. You'll stir some stuff up. But listen, he came to set people free from demons. Part of the gospel is the power of the devil is broken. People can be free from addiction, free from torments. He came to bring recovering of the sights of the blind, to put vision into people's life, to set our sights on something bigger and eternal than just surviving this budget. Then it says he came to set at liberty them who were oppressed, to lift the restrictions so you could begin to run the race God gave you. He came to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's the year of Jubilee. It speaks of empowering us for destiny. The gospel of Jesus Christ starts with a sinner, connects him to God, heals his broken heart and brokenness so he can build relationships, gets him set free from demons, opens his eyes to what he's called to be, begins to release the restrictions and mobilize him, go out, penetrate the community, make a difference. Listen, we're called to go to every part of society, every part of this community. If you're a teacher, go there and make a difference. If you're in finance, make a difference in business. Whatever part of society, God is wanting to raise up people who can make a difference. We have an entrustment. We have a message. Finally, we have a mission. Notice what Jesus said. We'll just finish with this. He said this. He said, make disciples. Make disciples. The bottom line for our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. What does that look like? Well, of course, when you hear the word disciple, it's a word you only hear in church. You only hear it in church, and it doesn't carry much meaning for us because we've heard it, and it's not kind of clear what it is. But to the culture Jesus was talking about, it was absolutely and really clear. The word Christian is used only once in the Bible. And it was used by unsaved people to describe disciples. Today, the name Christian is put on all kinds of nonsense. It's put on people who do not know Jesus Christ, who are not at all Christians. In the Bible, the name Christian was given, I think in Acts chapter 11, it says they first began to call the Christians disciples in Antioch. 
So the name Christian, as far as the Bible goes, was a name, it means literally one who follows Christ, follows the anointed one, follows the anointing, follows the Holy Ghost in serving Jesus Christ. A true Christian is led by the Spirit of the Lord, following the Lord into the purpose that God rescued and redeemed us for. It's not, I'll have a bit of fire insurance, then I'll live my life the way I want to. Thank you very much. That's not what Jesus called us to. He called us to come into a dynamic relationship where we're empowered by the Spirit to make a difference. Jesus defined for us what a disciple is. He said this, he said, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples. In other words, if you allow the word of God and the spirit of God to shape your lifestyle, to continue in the word means you live the word out. You begin to apply God's word to every area of your life, your finances, marriage, your attitudes, your heart, every area of your life, the word of God, apply it. That's what makes you a disciple. Number one, your lifestyle begins patterned according to the word of God and not according to the culture, which is selfish and independent and self-serving. Jesus didn't teach us that. A disciple is someone who follows someone's lifestyle, character, example, and tries to represent that person. And so the Bible says, Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples, not because you go to church, not because you have a bumper sticker, not because you carry a Bible, not because you go to base city. He said, because you love one another, because the nature of the one you follow is flowing out of your life. There is a manifestation of his life. The two things that Jesus said very clearly characterize a disciple, a true follower of Christ. This is what we're called to make. This is the challenge in the 21st century is for believers to become disciples of Christ and to begin to be apostolic in going out. It said they first called the Christians disciples in Antioch. What was so special about Antioch? Well, Antioch was the center of an apostolic. It was where the first apostolic church really arose. Initially, the church began in Jerusalem, but they were so concerned about the Jews, concerned about themselves, they were so restricted by culture that God, in the end, centered the activity in another city called Antioch. Antioch was different. The church in Antioch was different to the church in Jerusalem. The church in Antioch became the model, the example for the 21st century. It was a true apostolic church. What made it apostolic? Number one, it was multicultural. Nations coming together, not as separate little pockets, but being united together. They were seen together, functioning together, relating together. That showed an example to the world of that day how nations can come and be united in Jesus Christ. They operated in a team ministry. There were many ministries that operated. Prophets, teachers, evangelists, pastors. There was a team ministry. It wasn't emphasizing one person. It was about a team of people. It was a church where people were equipped, where they were trained, where they were released to go out. From there, the gospel went out into the world. It was a place where people were sent and commissioned to go out. Paul was sent apostolically out of Antioch. So when you read the verse, we just read it. They first began to call the Christians disciples in Antioch. doesn't mean much to us. But to those who were there at that time, they understood what that meant. 
This was a dynamic church, equipping, training, releasing, sending people out to change the community, to change the nations. It was a, a place where people were activated, released, and the action was not in the gathering. The action was out there where people were doing something in the community. It was a place where people were followers of Christ, represented Him, and many gave their life to serve Him. One of the most humbling things when you go into places like Pakistan and Indonesia is to go into churches and they say, oh yeah, well, we had some people were killed for the gospel. We had some people laid their lives down. I was in Indonesia in one church, and I'll finish with this. said, how's the church growing? It's in Jakarta. Abba Love is the name of the church, the Father's Love. In this church here, they, they rescued, they, they actually paid a ransom to redeem out of Muslim hands about a hundred plus young kids who'd been kidnapped and their parents slaughtered in front of them by these Muslim extremists. Children were terrorized. There was no one could do anything with them and they didn't know what to do and they, the kids would lock themselves up and they'd break the furniture, they'd make weapons and they'd barricade up the rooms at nighttime. They were terrified. They'd lived in a hut and a house and, and they'd, they'd had it surrounded and seen the house put on fire and their parents just slaughtered with machetes in front of them. And these young children, they were full of hatred and bitterness. All they wanted to do was to kill. They, there was hate in their heart. They, imagine what it'd be like. You can't, it's hard to grasp what it's like to watch a parent slaughtered in front of you. And yet these children traumatized. They didn't know what to do with them. So they took them away on a retreat and they began to have, they got the whole church into prayer and fasting. And that night at the retreat, as they shared about the love of God, the Father love of God, God began to speak to the students. And at midnight, the, one of the key ones went down into the main auditorium because he felt Jesus speak to him, you must go there. He went there and when he got there, all the other students were there and the Holy Ghost had spoken to every one of them, come and assemble at midnight in this auditorium. And so they all sneaked out and turned up there and all quiet and all there. The whole lot of them, the Lord had spoken the same thing to all of them. And of course, they didn't know what they should do. So the guy who was the eldest, about 14, he said, why don't we just all hold hands? So the whole hundred plus of them held hands. They just began to ask the Lord to do something. And with that, the Heaven opened up over them. The power of God fell on them. They fell on the ground. And every one of them was caught up into heaven. Over a hundred of them just supernaturally taken into heaven. And each one individually encountered the Lord. And he talked with them and ministered to them and healed the brokenness in their heart. And there was a long time went by and eventually they all came back out of it. And when they came out of it, the hatred had gone. The bitterness had gone. And they came and they told the pastor what had happened and, and people just were celebrating and they said, we want to become missionaries. We want to become a pastor. We want to become men and women of God just like you. We want to take the gospel to people who need Jesus Christ. That same church, I was asking, where are you growing the most? And they said, well, over there on the eastern side of the city. He said, what do you put the growth down to? Thinking, you know, they'll come up with some kind of strategy stuff. They said, oh, we know what causes the growth. I said, what causes the growth? And he said, well, we sent a young couple out there, and they were one of our great evangelists, a great young couple. They went out there, and they pioneered a small group. And they went out, and he went out on the street witnessing to people, and he got people saved on the street, but it was in a Muslim area. 
And he said the locals objected to him winning people to Christ. And they were building a small group. Everywhere you go in the world, people build small groups. Small groups were small enough for you to connect and get known and have your character and life shaped. And, and what happened was he said he went out one day. He said there were four men with machetes set on him and they just cut him down on the street and left him dying in his own blood on the street. And of course, the police in those places don't do anything much. You know, it's reported this is what happened. The, the wife and the, the members of the home group took the body, took it back to his home, laid it out on the table, and they, they, they took the clothes off, and they, they began to wash the blood off him. And as they washed the blood off and wept, his wife forgave the men who'd done it and said, Father, I forgive them as you've forgiven me, as you forgave my husband. Let this blood be a seed. That will bring a harvest of souls. And from that time on, people just got saved. He said, we had over a thousand Muslims come to Christ in nine months. You worked that out. They'd worked for quite a long time prior to that with very little. But someone laid their life down and it became the seed that reviving took place from. I guess... The question is, would you be such a one that would say, yes, I want my life to count. I may never go to a foreign land. I may never ever face people with machetes, but each day I will face resistance, opposition, but I'll believe in my heart that my life can count and I could make a difference. Why don't we close our eyes right now? Lord, we thank you that you raised up 12 men and each of them lay down their lives for the gospel. And in this hour, you're wanting men and women again to become fully committed to following you, to give their lives to serving you and to penetrate our community and make a difference. We don't know all that it means to make a difference, but we know it starts with a commitment, a commitment to Jesus Christ a commitment to be part of a body of people, a commitment to learn and to grow and be discipled, a commitment to follow Jesus Christ. Just while just our eyes are closed and heads about, I wonder if there's any person here who's not yet a Christian, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and experienced forgiveness of your sins and love of God. This would be a great time right now for you to respond to Jesus Christ. Jesus said to everyone who received him, he gave power to become a child of God. If that's you, why don't you raise your hand right now? Any person here at the point of decision to become a Christian, make that decision right now. Raise your hands. Raise your hand right now, wherever you are. Wherever you are. Wherever you are, raise your hand just now. Any person right at that point of decision to become a Christian, don't hold back. Don't say, I'll do it tomorrow. Don't say, I'll do it in my heart quietly. Say, I will do this openly. I'll become a Christian today. I'll give my life to Christ. I'll trust for His Spirit to change me. I'll trust for Him to give me. Any person here today, quickly raise your hand. Right, the second thing now, just while eyes are closed and heads bowed, I want to ask you this question. If you have felt the Spirit of God tugging at your heart, touching you today, I don't want you to come up the front. But I want you to listen to the voice of God, what He's calling you to do. Perhaps it's make a fresh commitment to Him. 
Perhaps it's to get water baptized. Perhaps it's to get enrolled in some kind of course where you can learn and grow, start down our equipping track. Perhaps it's to get rid of compromise in your life. Perhaps it's to reprioritize your time so you have time for the things of God. Perhaps it's to open your home so you have people in. Perhaps it's to connect into a group so you become part of something bigger than just yourself. Perhaps it's to do with the finances. Perhaps it's to do with things in your heart you need to put right. If you heard God speak to you today about change and about making your life count, why don't you just raise your hand and say, Lord, I know you're speaking to me today. Just put your hand up. Hands are going up. It's, it's important we respond. Jesus, I know you're talking to me. I know you're talking to me. I know you're talking to me. Make a difference. Father, I thank you right now for what we've been able to accomplish so far in these other nations. Now let it increase in those nations and increase locally. Let a spirit of boldness come upon your people to boldly make known Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And Lord, today we want to thank you for sending someone to us. Thank you, someone was faithful with their entrustment and didn't give up and they didn't quit praying and they didn't quit witnessing and you reached into us through them. Lord, we want to be just like that with someone else. You say amen? amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet. Let's finish with a song. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but